Welcome to the Relentless Minds podcast with Lori Jimenez, a platform where influential entrepreneurs get real and share their stories of challenges in life that they've had to face head on and conquer in order to be where they are today. Here, you'll get an inside look at the adversities that these individuals have experienced or are currently dealing with, in addition to their opinions on real life matters and philosophies in life. Most importantly, you'll learn what it takes to have a relentless mind so that you too can stay headstrong in your pursuit of a better future. In this podcast, you're going to get 100% authenticity from people that have figured out how to beat the noise that society creates and have a higher level of self-mastery. Hey, welcome back to my podcast, Relentless Minds. In this episode, I had the pleasure to speak with Christian Ferris, who is a personal development coach, husband, and father. This episode was a lot of fun to do because we talked about everything from experiencing guilt, the toxic effects of society, conditioning that people experience due to their upbringing, and an addiction for approval that Christian realized later on in life that he had and learned to overcome. This intro was a little different because Christian and I struck an amazing conversation right off the bat, and so I just let it flow. Enjoy. <laughs> How are you? I'm great. How are you? Oh my God. I'm so excited. I just got my coffee because I'm tired. <laughs> I, I got my bourbon because it's six. <laughs> That's perfect. Well, I, I want you to know that um, because I, anytime that I'm going to engage with somebody, I'm going to spend some time trying to get to know them and, and watch follow their material a little bit and yeah um so i've been watching your stuff and and your material and, and even your guests and stuff and um you've got a great it, you've got a great um a launching pad and here here's why mm -hmm. there is so much talk about success and people making money and um the the, the cars and and the houses and the you know all the things that come with that and what i've discovered and this is this is what has actually turned into a full-time gig for me is, is that people are good at making money, but they're, they're terrible. And I, and I don't mean to say, I'm not being mean when I say, but they're just terrible at life. Like yeah. somewhere along the line, of course, our generation, I, I don't know how old you are, but my generation and, and below, um, any, anywhere from that, that 25 to 45, you know, our parents were super involved in their work. They were involved, you know, they, they gave all of their time and energy into, into work and building work and building their, uh, mostly working for um, somebody, not really owning their own business, but they, they, did, they, they didn't teach it. Like they weren't involved in our mm -hmm. lives in a, in a big way. And so they taught us how to work. They taught us how to grind. They taught us how to be, you know, they, to build our character in that way. But when it comes to life stuff, I, I mean, I'm personally for me and everybody, you know, most everybody I work with, they're just not good at that. And so what you're doing is you're, you're helping people to find center yeah, and, and to, um, to learn how to become a good steward of their life. Because if they steward their life, everything else, I mean, when they start making money, when they move into relationships, like all of it changes for them. Mm -hmm. And you're helping them not get the car before the horse. So like I watch young entrepreneurs go into business and they're, they, they kick ass at it. They're great. They make a lot of money. They make it really fast, but they never learned how to steward life. And so that money and that success becomes their kryptonite. And it ends yeah. up becoming the thing that actually starts to destroy them. It actually <clears throat> starts to sabotage their own life. They start to self-implode, you know. So mm. anyway, that's what I've been watching. It's kind of, it seems like that to be the central core of what you're doing, helping people get healthy, yeah, uh, to move into that state of healthiness, emotional stability, and then being able to become successful. So I'm just, it's really cool. I love what you're doing. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And I appreciate your, your shout out to today earlier. Yeah. <laughs> I was not expecting that. But yeah, to me, it's very... The healthy foundation is, I mean, that's where it all starts, you know, because it's so important for somebody, especially with the age that we're living in now with society being so toxic, like the social media and like just kind of opinions of other people. It, it's incredible to see how, how like insecure people are because of these pressures of the outside world, like especially for men and how society creates this image of like how men can't even have emotions in a way. And it's sad to see that, you know, and I think that's been around for a long time, but now it's publicized. Like it's kind of just like really out there because your life is more out there in a way, 
you know? And so it's easier for people to attack you um, if you're not following the social norm. So, you know, for me in regards, and I, and I bring the insecurities for male, but for males, but like even females, like they deal with so many insecurities and it's crazy to see it. And like, I'm still in a journey of like assessing how I can really help people, you know? the best way I can approach it is by trying to put myself in their shoes or seeing like when I went through a situation because I have gone through like different things. And honestly speaking, like if you've gone through one challenge, that's sort of the way that you react, the way that you overcome it, like that can be transferred to other situations. And so just kind of having that self-awareness, like I, I, I know that I can make that impact and make that help people um, because of, you know, the background that I come from. So that's my passion for sure. Well, tell me a little bit about that. Like your background is like, what set you up for this? What set you up where you go, you know what, I've, I've conquered this and I've had to push through this. And so this story of mine is, is actually going to be the thing that helps people are going to connect this. Tell me a little bit about that. So like my inspiration. Yeah. So, um, my inspiration came from a realization that people were lost, essentially. And, and what influenced me were books that I read, right? So I've always had this care and like love for people. I don't know if it was influenced by the religion I was raised in. Which was um, what? I've heard you reference that. Yeah, so they were Jehovah's Witnesses. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so they were Jeho I was a Jehovah's Witness. I was born into this, rela this religion. You know, my sisters, my older sisters, my mom, like that was my, my family, my immediate family. My dad was never really involved in my family um, or in my life, I mean. And um, so, you know, they were everything to me. And also the community that I built, like the community of like that Je the Jehovah's Witnesses, because they, they are very, um, they're very sheltered. Mm. And so I grew up in that. And they teach you, you know, like love thy neighbor and this and that and like, you know, following the example of Jesus. And so I'm not sure if that was where that foundation was laid or if I just was I feel like I'm definitely like that. I just don't know if that was really I don't know. Right. But I have a lot of love for people. But yeah. I went through a period in my life where I when I left that religion, because I basically went through a lot of control. And I was not conforming to the regulations of the religions, um, specifically when it came to premarital sex. So I had like a boyfriend, right? And I really cared about this boyfriend. And so, you know, as teenagers do, we were participating in sex. And that to me was like, it was a conflict. It was a very conflicting internally, right? And I felt a lot of guilt and, um, like I knew that everybody would judge me if people found out. And so as a kid, that was a big, it was like a big burden and a big weight. And so um, I actually, like I go into a lot, but I like, even in my, it's in my story, in my podcast, like the first yeah. two episodes. First two I, episodes, yeah. Yeah, I go into that because I essentially, in order to, to kind of try to amend the sins of this like fornication, right? We, I got married when I was 18 years old and, and that was in, um, to escape, right? This was like to try. And that's when I was like, wow, you're fucking up your life. Like, what are you like? You're in a position where you feel so much guilt, so much stress, so much control that you did this. Right. And so that was kind of like where my life started to completely take a turn. And I was like, I need to get out of this and I need to, I essentially started running away from it. Right. Mm. So, um, that's a completely different story, but essentially to go back into what you were saying is that, yeah, that did prompt me into like this, this, the worst place in my life where it was like a period of a year and a half where I was just like, like, I just, I could not feel right. And I couldn't go over the pain. My sister is my mom and all of them. They just stopped talking to me after I left the religion. Um, and like, I haven't, like I reached out to my sisters recently and they were like, you know, we're going to adopt the same approach we're not going to talk to you until you come back and that's to them that's that's what they feel they need to do um because this is all they know right mm -hmm. um that, that's the right way to do that because the religion the religion teaches you that like they say you need to reject those people that leave the religion and whatnot it's a form of love and i'm like okay i was 18 years old and now on my own like is that really love mm -hmm. you know 
But um, essentially, when I started to improve myself after a bad relationship I was in, I started to really like just kind of question all my beliefs in that period of growth, uh, where I started to um, establish for myself my own beliefs, right? I started realizing that all these beliefs I had, these opinions on this, on that, they were influenced by how I was, like how I was raised. So I started to question everything. I said, is that what your mom thinks or is that what you think, right? And so I established this whole, this whole new belief system and I, uh, I had to do this by tapping into also the pain that I went through growing up, right? And like making all those decisions. And uh, it was really painful, but I was able to pull out a lot of learning experiences. And a book that I read was that was called um, The Road Less Traveled by Scott Peck. He's a psychotherapist and he really delves into how your childhood affects who you are growing up. And he also mentioned, and it was like the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway from the, from the whole book was that people choose not to tap into painful experiences and that's why they inhibit their growth. Our entire, my entire system and program, what we do centers around that reality. Because I believe that every human being, where you sit today, you're the sum total of all of your experiences and circumstances, upbringing, all of those things that poured into you, you, you are the sum total of that today. Mm-hmm. And what's really fascinating is, is that um, if you do not have an opportunity or if there's not space created for you to evaluate and question all of those things, yeah. you sort of go on through life as a mindless drone. But what ends up happening for so many, I, I have a very similar story. I didn't grow up as a Jehovah's Witness, but I grew up in the Baptist church. Mm. And so a lot of rigidity, lots and lots of rules and regulations. Like we, we, everything about our relationship with the creator was based on performance. And so for me, my entire life, now th- I had a double whammy. So I grew up in a pastor's home. So my dad was the pastor. Mm. right? Yeah. And um, so... I was, when I was born, like six days later, I'm put in the nursery, but immediately because of who my dad was, I'm, I'm put on a, like on a pedestal and I'm yeah. placed on a platform. Exactly. And so everybody wanted to be, you know, wanted to hold me and everybody wanted to be around me. And, and of course I don't remember this part of it, but what was happening was, is my, I, I was being formed. Like there was this mm-hmm. condition to being formed in me. And then, of course, we started a school, right? And so my dad's not just the pastor of the church. He's the principal of the school. And there's, you know, six, 700 kids in the school. And, um, and, you know, there'd be me and my buddies, there'd be eight, nine, 10 of us. And we'd be doing what kids do, screwing off and acting like kids, you know, and we'd get in trouble. And the teacher of the school would come in and, and would chide us right? Like we did something we shouldn't have done, Mm. but then they would look at me and say, of, of all of the kids in this group, Christian, you should know better. Right. So here now, again, not bad people, but this, this is just part Mm -hmm. of the upbringing. So check this out. This is really interesting. So what this started to, what, what started to happen for me is I started to determine a secondary thought or a secondary behavior. And that secondary behavior for me was, okay, I have to perform for these people in order to be able to get them to approve of me and, and for them to accept me. And so I had, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. my life was set up to perform for this, my creator for God. Right. And it's set up to perform for the people That's who are me. in my life. This is really interesting where it took me. So in my journey, lots and lots of failures. And, and I could tell you, I mean, it's just one screw up after another and just, you know, but not understanding or knowing why, um, it wasn't until I sat down with a therapist and my therapist walks me through what's called neuro-linguistic programming. Like we go back through what it, it, the, the abbreviations NLP. We go back through these, this process and over the course of like 15 or 20 weeks, we go all the way back to this childhood. Yeah. Right. And we start to discover that um, I was set up to be an approval addict. So like that was my sickness. And so that approval addiction was was a condi- what I call today now a conditioned defect. I was conditioned. I was set up to win everybody's approval. So as an adult, as a as a you know young adult, and, and, and then moving into adulthood, mm. everything about my life was approval. So every girl that I brought into my life, it was because I needed their approval, not because I was set up and 
and trained to take care of them or to look out for them. It was all selfish. I needed their approval. Every mm. business venture I went into, it was about approval. Every conversation that I had, I never went in saying, what can I give to this person or how can I help? It was, how can I leverage this person and get their approval? And so what was fascinating about that is that the end result for me was that, and that was um, the fear of failure. So I lived every part of my life encompassing this fear of failure because if I failed, I wouldn't get your approval. Exactly. And, and what's really interesting is, is that I don't think parents mean to do this. I don't think people mean to do this, but parents have a tendency to attach their ego to their kids and how their kids turn out. Right. And so they, they do everything they can to create this environment for how they want their kids to turn out and what they want their children to do at some point, because if they do those things and their mind, it's going to make them look good. Right. Exactly. What ends up happening is, is we break away from that. We go, "Mm, you know what? I got a free will and I've got a destiny. I've got a purpose and I'm going to find out what this is. And so Mm -hmm. we begin to break away from that. And it was in that breaking away that I discovered um, that, that I have this horrible approval addiction that was, that was creating an environment to make all of my decisions. It was, it was literally, um, it, it, every part of it was toxic for my entire environment. It was poisoning every decision that I made. And, and, and so what we do in our journey and helping people is, is, is really going back to those, those places from, a, from their childhood because that's mm-hmm. where it begins. And how do we connect the dots? So, so check this out. I didn't wake up one day and go, hey, I'm 25 years old and I want to be an approval addict. Like, that's not yeah. how it went. It, there were dots that were connected that brought it all the way back to my childhood. Exactly. And if we're not willing to go there. You've got to go there. Yeah, if we don't, we, we miss the entire journey that helps us to gain power and authority over that so we can move beyond it. Exactly. And you brought, and I actually wanted to contribute to that because when it comes to parents, in addition to them trying to have these, you know, perfect ideals for like their kids and how they need to be. I also learn, and I know this, that just like you and I grow up, right? Like we, like you realize that you had this, this issue at 25 years old. Like what if you didn't realize that? What if you didn't go to this therapist and didn't trail that back to your childhood? You would have been a full adult, like 30 years old, 34 years old, had your own kids. And then put that on them. So essentially that's also what happens is that these parents society, like they don't, they don't figure out what's going on inside of them, their insecurities, you know, like these false beliefs that aren't theirs are their parents, whatever baggage their parents put on them, they're now putting onto their own kids. Right. And so that's, that's that vicious cycle. So we we call those generational defects or generational uh, curses. Mm-hmm. And so you you um, you have a tendency to carry out and live out what was carried out in you, mm-hmm. and and so they 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 literally become generational, and and a generational curse holds an incredible amount of power, and I don't know that we understand all the energy and the spiritualism behind that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that we we ever will on this earth, but it is deep and it's profound, and it's um and it's it's not just a hey let's pray it away, hey let's read a book and it goes away. It does not work like that. It is. It requires um, effort and it requires somebody helping you walk through that to get to the other side. But Lord, I'm going to tell you something. You're, this is going to blow your mind. I wasn't 25 when I came, when I discovered this. You oh, ready? No. <laughs> so so I, I, I jumped into a marriage because I needed, I, I was going into ministry and mm-hmm. I couldn't have sex outside of marriage. And so I had to get married. Uh-huh. And so I, I had a girl that I was dating for four months and I'm like, Hey, Let's get married, right? And she was um, from a broken home and, and a lot of chaos. And so she was looking for stability. So it was, yes. an, easy, it was an easy reeling for me. So uh-huh. I, in the beginning, I was just a, so fucking selfish from the very uh-huh. beginning in, in reeling this girl in. Mm-hmm. And, then I, um, and then I get married to her. We have two children. But I, we have nothing about our lives that are compatible but I'm serving in ministry and I'm working in the church and I want to make it work because you can't get, you'd be better off in my world. You'd be better off killing somebody for real. I'm not kidding. Like mm. killing somebody and having a better chance of serving in ministry than getting divorced. Like that was the unpardonable sin. I kid you not. So yeah. I hold on to this thing. Right. But then another lady, there's this other girl, woman who is like super productive 
and she's got all this initiative and I feel like we're totally compatible. So I end up running out of this first marriage to jump in a relationship with this other girl, right? And so I wreck this marriage. I wreck my kids. My kids are five and two, totally destroying that whole thing. Yeah, jump into a relationship with her. And that's a train wreck, right? It's a total train wreck. And that one ends. Like th th that marriage totally. Yeah. So I, so now, by the way, I kept my kid. We have a, you know, had a great relationship. They walk through a second disaster with me and they have to go through a second divorce. And then, so, so then on, so then now watch this. So then I, um, I, I end up having this other lady. So, so because I'm an approval addict, the second marriage, the person I was married to was, constantly emasculating me. I was never good enough. I couldn't, I mean, it was just eight years of just, you're a piece of shit. That was eight years wow. of it. Your second marriage. Second. Mm -hmm. So then I get out of that. I, I finally get enough strength to walk away from that. There was a lot wow. of abuse and gaslighting and things wow. going on in that. So I walk mm -hmm. away from that, go through the divorce and that. Then I have a lady who starts to, who's working for me, right? And she starts to she, she's infatuated with me. Mm. I, I don't think it was me. I think it was the position, yeah. the power. She's infatuated with the position, the power. And she starts to just like build me up. And she starts to speak all these things to me that I hadn't heard in years. And I'm, mm. I'm like, as the approval, I, and I'm, by the way, have no idea yet that that's what I am. Yeah. I, I'm like receiving all this. And I end up, move, she's married uh, and I end up moving into an inappropriate relationship with her, right? Now, I, by the grace of God, we didn't go into a sexual relationship where it, where it was like you can't come back from. But here's what happened. And my world starts to collide and implode on me. And I'm like, I have no idea who I am. What am I doing? Like, I know better than this. Yeah. What's going on? And yeah. it was those things that brought me to the place in my life where I hit my pain point. Mm. And so before I allowed, I, I suppressed the pain point. And here's what I believe. I believe that when the pain of where you are becomes greater than the fear of where you need to be, that's when change begins. Yep. Most people do not allow themselves to hit the pain point. They suppress it with drugs, alcohol, other sexual relate, whatever. They suppress that. Work. Work. Traction. The money, whatever you, you allow, you don't allow yourself to hit that pain point. But for exactly. me, I, there was no turning back. And that's, so you ready for this? I was 40. I was 40, man. And so I'm, I'm going to wow. be 45 this year. So this was five years ago. Five years ago. That I, so I lived in this chaos in this train constantly derailing because of that upbringing and not knowing how to get out of it. Exactly. Isn't that wild? You didn't even know. No, it's incredibly wild, but it's incredibly uplifting too to, for like everybody listening, you know, just like you were this far along in your life and you still were able to make a complete transformation five years ago, Yeah, five years ago. And since then, like your journey, Yeah. how much have you grown since then? Yeah. Yeah. So, it's a beautiful so because thing. of that, and, and so here's what happened because of that, that's, that's when the doors begin to open. So it, we do not realize how much of our current thought is influenced by our brokenness. Here's what I believe. Every outward behavior is a manifestation of an inward brokenness. And, and what ends up, what, what we believe is that we can fix that brokenness from the outside in. It never works that way. Mm. We do not change the outside of our life until we first change the inside. Exactly. And so I had to go to work internally. Now, here's another shocker. I was, I, when all of this chaos was going on, I was leading a church in a ministry. So, mm -hmm. so think about that role. Yeah. Like I'm, I am the biggest sinner in the room, right? Yeah. But I found out I knew how to hide it. I knew how to cover it up. Like I knew how to play the game. So it doesn't matter if you're doing it in church work, you're doing it in business. I, I work now today with entrepreneurs and leaders all over the world who lead multi, some of them are leading multi-billion dollar businesses mm -hmm. that I work with mentor and coach who had, who learned how to hide everything behind their, their status. They learned mm -hmm. how to hide everything behind their success. And they wanted to like, they were, yeah. It's scary to have to be like, cause you have to be vulnerable right? Like, to um, embrace that and to display that to people. 
and these people in that position being like that in itself is, is the problem too. Right. But to your point, and I want your listeners to know this, that you are as sick as your deepest secret. And so everybody has a healing lid. And the problem with people and the reason people cannot find healing is because they hold on to secrets that they never confess. Mm. Confession is the gateway to healing. You cannot heal and will not heal beyond the thing that you're holding as a secret. Mm. And so when I sat in front of my mentor and I sat in front of my therapist, I literally confessed. There was nothing I held back. Mm. I confessed everything. And it was hard for me because why? I'm an approval addict. And I fear failure. And so I was having to face every one of those fears head on. And it was so difficult and so hard. But what was fascinating, Lori, is is that when I went into full rigorous honesty and confession, Mm. the weight came off. You know Mm. why? Now I had nothing to hide. Exactly. I had nothing to hide. So now you can't hold anything against me. This person can't hold. Nobody can accuse me or hold anything against me because now it's all out in the open. Yeah. And if your listeners get anything in life, I, I, I want them to get this, is that living your life in rigorous honesty and open confession is yeah. the only way that you can live in healing or that you can move into healing. Yep. And so that's what began the journey for me. I, was, I didn't have to hide anymore. Exactly. That's so important. And that's why I believe so much in the motto of owning your story and creating your life. Because when it comes to like owning your story, what I mean by that is like, you have to embrace it. You have to embrace where you came from, all of the, all of your mistakes, all of your failures, you know, all of that pain, like embrace that, be just be real with it, be real with other people, be real with yourself, be honest. Cause that's apparent, like ultimately all of this stuff, when you express that to other people, first you had to, realize that that was the truth to yourself, Mm. you know, and you came to terms with who you were as a person and how ugly it looked and how real, like how seriously now you had to change that. Yeah. But that's the thing because it'd be, it's scary because you don't know, like, obviously you were so scared of failure. You were so scared of that disapproval, right? It was an unknown. It was actually, I had another, um, uh, a guest on here that she brought up and I want to give her credit for it. Um, Alexa Car- Carla brought up the fear factor fiction. So it's like fear to something that's unknown, right? But you create the outcome. You, you, it's an illusion in your head. So like you thought these people would disapprove of you mm. when in the end they embraced you, if anything, they wanted to help you. So when you brought out that truth, there was no more running away. There was no more hiding. You saw now in reality what that outcome was. There was no more fiction to it. It was the truth. And you were able from that point to be in a position where you were able to grow. Yeah. Lori, there's, there's two things to your, to your, to your point. First of all, fear is rooted always in in two things, losing something I have or not getting something I want. Mm. It always comes down to those two things. There is never another context of fear, losing something I have, not getting something I want. Mm -hmm. And so for me, when it came to the failure part, and this is how I embrace this. And and, and again, this is such a helpful point to people who deal with the same sickness. And I call it a sickness because it it really is. It's, it's It's a sickness that we can't control until we learn to get control of it. But Failure um, was not, it wasn't like I woke up in the morning every day and said, I can't wait to start today and fail. Like, I don't live like that. I live the opposite. Like, I'm a type A guy. I'm a driven guy. I'm an entrepreneur. I own four businesses. I, I mean, I, I work and I've been that way my whole life. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't that I, I woke up and set out to fail. So I look now today at failure differently. It was that I was doing the best I could with what I had and the tools that I had been given. And so when I look at it that way, I go, I didn't really fail. I was literally doing the best I could with the tools I had and, and what I had been given. It wasn't that I really failed. It was at that season, at that moment, that I was actually doing my best. Mm-hmm. And so when you embrace that reality, here, here's the problem. We have this, we have this weird culture in, in, our, in this American cultural narrative where we like create self-penance. Like we want to hold ourselves hostage and we put ourselves in penance. And so we, we like are afraid to even admit what I just said. Well, I didn't fail. I was doing the best I could with what I had. No, you're letting yourself off the hook. You actually failed. You're a screw up. You messed up. And we, we say those words to ourselves constantly. We live in shame and remorse and guilt. The reality is, no, you didn't fail. 
you were doing the best you could with what you had and the tools you've been given. Exactly. And when people embrace that, I'm telling you, there is so much liberty in that one reality. It takes the weight off and you go, you know what? I, I can move beyond this because I wasn't failing. I was just, I was doing everything I knew to do. Exactly. And, and that, that's a, it's a perspective change. And so I don't have to live in the fear of that anymore. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. And that's the thing. It's like, you're like bringing it back to what you were saying, like when your, your childhood and your parents and like all of these influences of you growing up, like those are the tools you're giving those tools. That's what you're using to right. get through life, right. you know? And unfortunately, a lot of times those tools are rusty and they're broken and, right. and they, and they result in a broken and, and just a person that, that isn't living to their fullest potential, you know? Yeah. And so in life, though, that's why, we, like you and I, like what our mission is, is to help to replace those tools with tools that are more refined, with ones that are new, you know? Yeah, and not even just new, Lori. They're actually the right tools. Like I had people who right gave tools. a screwdriver and a hammer and a nail. And so they weren't, they, they, because of their upbringing, because of their belief system, because of their mm -hmm. religiosity, they were giving me the wrong tools. And so we're not just helping you to refine your tools. You and I are helping people to make sure they're looking in their toolbox and go, if I'm putting a nail in the wall, I make sure, I want to make sure I got a freaking hammer and I'm not a freaking screwdriver. Yep. And so we're helping them get the right tools. And that's what's so powerful about this mission that you're on and that, that I want to just speak in you and empower you in what Thank you're you. doing because there are so many, listen, there are enough gurus on the internet right now telling people the what. That it's just all over. That's the easy part. The what? Make the money, buy the cars, get the yachts, get the the what? There are very few people who are conditioned and have the ability to teach the why and the how. Exactly. So important. So important to to help people actually get to the root of the problem. You know, mm. not just this is what you should be thinking. This is what you should be doing. No, go back. Right. Like, Connect the dots. Question yourself. Exactly. And that's so important to me. And I mean, like, actually, and I wanted to talk on, on something else because I know that you can speak to it really well um, just by seeing your content. And that is when you were talking about the tools and how, like, you've just got to embrace that. Like, you've got to be, you've got to be okay with where you are in life in certain points of your life, right? Mm -hmm. And it comes down to also that art of, like, surrendering. What is your kind of, like, feedback to people yeah. in your so own life when you had to really surrender? So the first question I think that everybody has to ask is what is it that I'm surrendering to? And so surrender is a really big topic. It's sort of a sexy conversation. Everybody wants to talk about surrender and subject. You know, we, we, we uh -huh. throw these terms around, but we, again, we throw them around in the context of the what, not the why. So I, I, I try to get people to answer this question. What is it that you're surrendering? What, what's the, uh, the why of the surrender and why are you doing it? And what is it that you're surrendering to? And so this is a deeper, more profound and somewhat philosophical part of the conversation. So here's how I teach it, mm -hmm. that I'm surrendering to the reality that I only have been given control over two things in this world, yeah. my actions and my attitude. Mm. I want you to stop for a minute, Lori. I want you to think about this. A hundred percent of the chaos in your life can go away today mm -hmm. if you adopt that reality and you live by it every day. I only have control over two things, my actions and my attitude. Stop in your own life and think about how much chaos and insanity has come to your life because you've tried to control the outcomes of things that you didn't have the power to control and other people and manipulating and wanting the, to manipulate the outcome. So here's the statement. The more you try to control what you don't have the power to control, the more out of control your life becomes. Exactly. And so the very first thing that people have to realize of what they're surrendering to is they're surrendering to the reality that I only have power. The creator of the universe has only given me power. And by the way, I don't care what you believe, the God of your understanding, I don't care what you believe, it's, it's irrelevant. But what, whoever and whatever you believe in, you have been only given the power to control two things. Actions, attitude, that's it. Try to name something else, there isn't. And I, I mean, it, but people, but here's the thing. It's easy to say, try to embrace it. So think about the last, issue of your life that created the greatest amount of chaos and how much of that chaos came out of you wanting to control the outcome. Like yeah, yeah. I, I go through this constantly in my own life. So when we can surrender to that, 
the game. We, we are now, we are in a position to change the game. That's so important. Like just kind of thinking back, um, I'm trying to think about that myself, about that outcome, you know, and I think that's a conditioned concept. Like that's 100%. a conditioned oh, belief of course. because it's like, you think kind of even going through life, it's like where, at what point did you decide that you, or did you even think that you had the control of an outcome? Like, like, is it, is it like in social media and everything that we see all these people like flaunting all of their stuff and you see that constantly, 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 and you start to think, well, if they're there, I can be there and that's where I should be. And that's your main focus. And then you lose sight of what it takes to be there, you know, mm. because everybody is only showing you that end result. It's not, yeah, I, I, I call that yeah, I call that success porn or leadership porn where we're lusting after everyone else's success and their leadership capabilities um, and saying, well, and I've done this before. Like, I'm like, well, I'm smarter than them and I know more than why don't I have more influence? Like, yeah. how can Grant Cardone host a thing of 35,000 people and my content's better than it? Like, you start to think that way, you know, and so but but here's the thing. Take it. Take this back and start bring this all the way back to a personal place. Like evaluate how, how many times you've done this in your own life with your family, with like relationships, um, in, in your own personal life where you've tried to control outcomes. And, and here's what's fascinating ab about this reality, that if you feel or believe that you have the power to control outcomes, what you end up doing is you end up becoming a master at manipulation and manufacturing. Mm. And so this is why we manipulate. Mm. I, I, will, I call this emotional rape. I will force you or ask you or, or try to get you to feel something that I'm feeling because I have a desired destiny for you and me together and collectively. Mm. So I will emotionally rape you until I break you down to get you to the point to, to feel and experience what I'm experiencing because what I'm feeling is right and my outcome is the best and I'm going to get you there. We live so much of our life in that context. Wow. I never even thought about it that way. Manipulation. I mean, because you're only focused on that outcome and so, you're not really caring about, you know, even the people at the, at the end of the day, you're not going along with, with just the journey and enjoying it as it goes, accepting the correct. ups and downs and all of that. Correct. Huh. And like, you've obviously gone through this journey. You've been, you've had a lot of enlightening experiences and thoughts and, and everything. And so when it comes to, um, you know, the, you talk about like your blogs talk about like, um, guilt and failure and arrogance and forms of addiction and all of that. And can you speak or share with us like how that inhibits growth? What, what, what part, and, and I'm sorry, repeat that part. Like what, in, what, um, in, inhibits the growth part? Say that one part again. So like the guilt, like feeling. Oh, oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So again, we, we are conditioned to live, um, sort of these, this life of penance. Like, so, mm -hmm. it, so every mistake that you've made, quote unquote, or failure, whatever you yeah. want to call it, that you've made in your life, we are conditioned to believe that we have to hold on to it. And so I, this is a really mm -hmm. fascinating reality. There's two things that you have in your life. You have guilt and you have conviction. Okay. Guilt I believe comes from a, a, if I can say it this way, but it's a very negative, I mean, I'm even gonna bravely use this word, but a demonic sort of pull. It's a negative pull. Guilt makes you look backwards. Mm. And so if you look backwards, you always live in shame and remorse. Conviction exactly. is different. Conviction is actually a stirring of your heart that makes you look forward to your future and how things can be better. And so what, what happens for so many people is, is that they do not know how to decipher or to compartmentalize the two. Mm -hmm. So they feel, watch this, they feel comfortable in their guilt and remorse because in their mind, it, this is how they remain the victim. Yeah. People love staying the victim. If I stay the victim, I have an excuse for my behaviors. You know what? I can also speak about, there was a period in my life where I felt so much guilt that I felt like I deserved to right. feel that pain. Right. Like I, I was saying like, I don't, I didn't want to look at the positive. I didn't want right. to have that conviction or, or commitment Me to too. the truth because I felt so guilty. I had hurt so many people. 
Me too. That I said I deserve to feel like shit. And I just wallowed in my guilt yep. and in my you, you self You self-sabotage and you created your, you created your own context of self-penance. And, and by the way, watch this. Some people even move into self-emulation. And so this is where people, and I say this very sensitively, but this is why people cut. Mm. This is why people abuse their body. This is why people get involved in relationships that are illicit, that they have no business being in. This is why people drink, do drugs. They go beyond what, what is normal and what would be considered a um, what be, what, just moderate, moderate living yeah. and social living. They go beyond it because that's how they punish themselves in this. And they don't even know they're doing it. It becomes a psychological, pathological behavior that they're not even aware of. It's because they're living in shame and guilt and remorse. Wow. You know, that actually touches and it brings like some light even to this whole thing where, and I, again, I always bring it back to my personal experiences and it's kind of like, and I'll just kind of speak on in a general sense where a person, when they're in a situation or in a scenario, that's a negative scenario, let's say like you were raised with drunk parents, right? Abusive parents, abusive rela- or have abusive relationship. That next, that next situation is always like a similar thing, yeah. right? Like that's why you find people that were raised with drunk parents or abusive parents. Now they're, all their relationships are like that. There is Isn't that fascinating? Theory. And it's like, it has to do with, I mean, like, that's what I'm, I'm starting to understand myself is like that internal guilt and remorse and just kind of like being in a bad place, not having any sort of value for yourself, not seeing the value in yourself, thinking that you deserve that throughout life. Yeah. It becomes a vortex. And, and what happens is, is all of your life, all of your behaviors, all of your relationship, they, 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 be, they get sucked up into this vortex. And, mm-hmm. and, and what's interesting about this is that people become, they, they, they self-victimize. Mm-hmm. And here's what's, what's really interesting about becoming a victim or, or, or staying in or continuing to live in that victim role is, is that two things. If I stay a victim, I get to have an excuse for my behaviors. And I get to continue to elicit the sympathy of the people around me. Mm-hmm. And so they will not leave that victim role because those two things have become their way of life. Excuse for behavior. And I need the, I need to continue to elicit your sympathy from, for, for me. In other words, I don't see the ability or the possibility, I should say, of being able to change or live beyond this context. So what I do and what we do, what you do, what you're doing in your, in your world now is, is that you're helping people to go, wait a minute. That's, that's a part of your life that yes, it, it creates a bit of your conditioning, but if you change your perspective and realize that what you feel isn't always what is real, this can actually become the catalyst to moving you to a place of totally revolutionizing your life, your story, and moving you into a place of total peace, serenity, happiness, and fulfillment. And so no longer is it going to hold me hostage. Now, because I'm changing how I see it, it is the catalyst to moving me forward. So all the listeners need to get this. My philosophy now in life is nothing happens to me. Everything happens for me. Mm -hmm. So powerful. Nothing happens to me. Everything happens for me because it's, it's, I, it will be the, the, the rung in the ladder, the step in the stairs, the catalyst to moving me to the next, you know, to the next level of my destiny and my purpose. Mm -hmm. When you put yourself in a position of, of being the victim, right? Saying that this happened to me, that happened to me, you would disempower yourself. You disempower your ability to get out of that environment because you think you have no control because it's all happening to you as opposed to seeing it from a perspective of it's, it's, it's there for you, for you to learn, you know, it's, and that's definitely a more empowering way to see that because when you, when you see it in that light, you start to say, okay, well, what can I learn from this? What can Mm. I take away from this now? Where am I going to go? What am I going to do now that I have this knowledge Yeah, as opposed to, having that having to feel like of attack of being attacked correct victims say it happened to me victors say it happened for me but here's the thing in the from the victim role people who live in that victim role when they say this happened to me their whole what they're doing is is they're unwilling to release 
the indiscretions that have come against their life. So, so here's, here's the reality. I want to be sensitive, and this is important for this conversation. There are true victims out there. I deal with people and work with people who were sexually abused by their father. Mm-hmm. The, the person that's supposed to protect them, take care of them, provide for them, that they trust, create, uh, create an environment for the most, I mean, the most, the greatest violation of trust. Yeah happen from their father, right? So guess what? They are a true victim. Specifically, um, women that that my wife and I work with today, they are true victims, right? And so, um, but what ends up happening, now I watch and work with people who move beyond it, Mm. and I work with people who refuse to move beyond it because, watch this, staying a victim in their mind punishes the one who hurt them. So they think that they're continuing to, they're, they're punishing that one. If I remove, if I remove myself or go beyond this victim role, then in their mind, they think that they're justifying or they're absolving the sin that was brought against them. And so by remaining and staying a victim, they're holding that person hostage in their mind, making them uh, continuing the punishment for what they did to them. But what they don't realize is, A, they don't have the power to absolve that sin. They're going to pay for that in a big way and beyond anything that we can comprehend in this tangible life today. But secondly, it's not actually holding the person that victimized them hostage. It's holding the victim hostage. Exactly. Freedom happens when you're willing to step beyond that and you look, you can honestly look at that person and say, you no longer have the power to hurt me. So even in your life, Lori, you had people who hurt you. Now, it may not have been at that level of victimization, mm-hmm. but you were victimized in the context of religion. It, it, it altered how you view God. It altered how you see life. Myself. It altered all of those. Huh? I said myself even. Yeah, it altered. Yeah, your self-image, self-worth, all of it was altered. So you had to make a decision. I'm going to allow them to continue to hold power over me because if I stay the victim, it'll, make, it'll continue to punish them, or I'm going to move beyond it. I'm going to live a successful life, help people with my story, and no longer give them the power to hurt me. And this is what we're trying to get people to move beyond. Yep. Not giving, relinquishing that and not giving that power over me to hold me hostage any longer. Exactly. And the thing is that on a personal note, I had, I had to experience that, that position of being a victim I had to experience that first to and, and have that that pain point get to the point where it was too much for me to handle for for me to make that decision and say no more like right. I cannot be I cannot live in this space I need to make a decision so like kind of just understanding other people too it's like if you're in a phase in your life where you dealt with all of this pain you dealt with all of this rejection whatever it was that put you in this hole it could be that you know, part of your whole growth and, and this realization of where you're eventually going to need to be, it could be that, that part of that journey is you needing to be in this space for just a little bit, but do not, do not wallow that space for too long and definitely have people around you, embrace people, like share, share where you're at with people, like do not isolate yourself. Like, because for me, I definitely needed to have this and have that pain point get to a certain spot. Get, get to a certain point. If not, I wouldn't have learned as much of, from everything. Yeah. And it would have not been genuine. Like if yeah. it was people trying to force me out of that, like, yeah. you know, it's so that's-, well, that's a great, that's a great point. You're, you're hitting something that your listeners need to know <laughs> because I watch this a lot is, is that we have a tendency sometimes to get to, in, uh, to become the interference to people reaching their pain point mm. because we watch this. We want something more for them than they want for themselves. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Parents do this all the time with their kids. Yeah. We do this with friends. We do this in relationships. We mm-hmm. interrupt the pain point. Sometimes the best thing for people to do is to just get out of the way and let you hit the bottom. When you're on the bottom, the only place you have to look is up. Exactly. And so when you get to that point, you know now, okay, I, I don't want this in my life. And so the great thing about where you are today and where I am today is people got out of the way. They gave me space to hit my bottom, to find my pain point, And that was what became the catalyst to my hope and change. Exactly. Because that period in my life, I was, I had nobody. Like my family members weren't there to pull me out of my hole. You know, I had to literally kind of climb out of that hole myself. And along that climb, I got stronger. 
you know? like, how do you feel today? So that was fully, fully necessary. And I, that's why this is going back to that whole concept of where life doesn't happen to you. It happens for you. So I had all of these, yeah, if, you know, somebody could say, why aren't your, like your family members there or like helping you out or whatever. Okay. Yeah. But looking back, I'm like thankful because I would not have had the growth and to that, to this extent, if I didn't have, you know, a higher mountain to climb. Right. Well, true, true loyalty is not defined by me being there for every situation or pulling you out of every situation. True loyalty is defined in that I'm willing to step away and let you discover your own truth for yourself, even if it means hitting your pain point, because I care more about your best and what's best for you and your destiny than I do even our communication, our quote unquote friendship. I'm willing to let you do that. That's true loyalty. Mm -hmm. Loyalty is so misdefined today. um, And and, and it's just, it's a misguided concept. The, The people who I have in my life today are the ones who not only speak truth, but they're willing to get out of the way and let me hit bottom if, if that's what it takes. And yeah. so, and, and this is interesting, an interesting principle. Uh, they, we have this philosophy that we live by back and forth. Uh, we, we speak it once in love and that's it. If I do, if I say it once, it's out of love. If I say it twice, it's out of control. Mm-hmm. And so if they, if I speak it to them and they don't do anything about it, that's on them. I've already spoke the truth. I don't have to do it again. And vice versa. That's how we get out of each other's way. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah. Fascinating. I mean, I, that's that's an interesting way to see it. And uh, I feel like it depends too, because I feel like sometimes some people they need to they, they they come to you because they want you to tell them again and again because they're so, they're 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 weak, you know, in a sense where they're just like. Here's what they're looking for. They're looking for you. So I'll, I'll speak to because I get this all the time. Uh-huh. They're looking for you to be the one to pull them out and to rescue them. But mm-hmm. understand this. You cannot rescue anyone. You cannot negotiate or help someone negotiate themselves out of hurt. They become the, they, they, now you're there to walk them along the journey, but you cannot do for them what they can do for themselves. So the mantra is this. I will do for you what you can't do for yourself as long as you do for yourself what you can. Ah, I like it. <laughs> you know, I've learned that along the journey too because like growing up, I would always I I was always like the the advice giver. Yeah. And I eventually learned because every single time I'd like pour my heart out and say, oh, this and this and that and this and that and don't be doing this and this is bad for you. And then I would, people were always going and doing, they were doing what they wanted to do ultimately, right? Yeah, and, yeah. That's, and I just learned that early on. I was like, you can never try to, you can never, I never feel like you have as that much influence where you're going to completely transform or change somebody's life. Well, so you know how I relinquish this is it, I go back to the first principle of I only can control my actions and attitude. And so the action is, I'm going to speak the truth. The attitude is, I'm going to love you through it. Mm-hmm. And I think I can't, I can't do anything beyond that. I think that's great. And that's you, your clients, oh my God, that's probably why they, if anything, they open up so much to you and you make more of an impact than having, trying to have so much control over whatever you feel you might be able to, to produce for them because you give them their autonomy, you mm. know? They're able there. You put, you put that, that action and that responsibility in their hands. And maybe that's something that nobody else gave them in life. Maybe that's something they didn't even feel that they had. And you're here and you're saying, look, I believe that you have all the tools or ability to, to, to take that action and take control of your life. Yeah. And and if you don't have the tools, I'll hand you the one that you need. Okay. Here you go. What are you going to do with it? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and you're you're a hundred percent right, Lori. That is, it's actually that's articulated very well. That is the entire overarching theme of what we do. It's that I'm not here to do it for you. I'm here to give you the tools and teach you how to do it for you. Because watch this, if I if I do it for you, I've done nothing to help your life. I I can't be your you know, I can't walk side by side and hand in hand with you for the rest of you have to come to the place in your life where you're, you feel confident in doing this on your own. But, but I want to, I want to share this because I think it's so important. Um, it is, there is absolutely, let me say it this way. When you, I'm sure you've flown on a plane before, Mm -hmm. um, the stewardess or the steward, they, they, they give the, 
brief word about the um, oxygen mask on the, on the, if the plane goes down or if we lose oxygen, there's going to be a mask that comes out of the ceiling. What do they always say about that mask? They tell you to do what? Put the mask on first and then help someone else put their mask on. Well, what are they saying? You cannot take care of another person. Mm. You first have taken care of yourself. The best gift that you can give the world is not a big house, a lot of money, a big, a great, a nice car, thick bank account. The greatest gift that you can give the world is the healthiest version of you. And I say this all the time. It is impossible to give away what you do not have the capacity to give. The reason that relationships, marriages, businesses, the reason that these things are failing all of the time is because two unhealthy individuals come together and try to form a healthy whole. It never works. We're asking people to give away what they don't have the capacity to give. And so the, the, the call is this for everyone. Before you start speaking into people's lives, before you try to be in a relationship, before you get married, before you enter, become the healthiest version of you so that when that time comes, you're, you have the capacity to give away what is needed to be given in that, in that relationship or that business venture or whatever the case right. may be. And, and I think ultimately, in, in all of this conversation, ultimately it comes down to my passion and my desire is to help people put the, the oxygen mask on. They find individual health and they find the things that they need so they have the capacity to give away what the rest of the world needs. Exactly. And when you learn this and when you discover this and you become that, you become a world changer. You become a true influencer. Exactly. And to speak to that too, I also recercognize that, and I want to share it, like, cause people need to hear it is that you're never going to get to a point where you're going to have it all figured out. Mm. You're never going to get to that point. You're going to consist. If you're going to be living life and you're going to live life the right way, you're going to constantly be growing and progressing in life. Right. And so, it, but you've got to in relationships, right? There are certain things though, you've got to have figured out before you get into a relationship. When it comes to speaking to other people and trying to influence them, there are certain things, foundational things that you need to have figured out before you go and do that. But you don't have to have it all figured out. You can still be growing and learning along the way. If anything, that is going to help people connect to you even more because you're, you're in this journey with them. You're just maybe a little farther along in this journey. Well, you know, I'm, I'm 40, I'll be 45 this year. I have an 82-year-old mentor. I check in with my mentor every week of the world. Mm. And here's what I say often, Lori. I say, is there anything about my life that you see that you, that I need to be working on or I need to change? Um, yeah. And, and so the reason that I do that is to, to your point is because I cannot assume that I have reached this pinnacle of health yeah. and this pinnacle of spirituality or pinnacle of whatever uh, wisdom that I don't need to continue to grow and change. And and, and, I, and so, the, so the, today, I checked in with my mentor today, and all I said today was, hey, checking in, life is good. And sometimes, by the way, my mentor is an 82-year-old woman. I call her the oracle. She's <laughs> the wisest, most insane human being that ever walked the earth. And I, I mean, literally insane, but the wisest. Amazing. And she speaks truth. and spe- Like, having somebody who is at that age, who has seen all the things that they've seen in life, mm. And they don't have, they have nothing to prove. So they don't care. I mean, they're going to tell you everything. Right. And there's sometimes there's things that she asked me that like, it's so bizarre, but she asked me questions and I'm like, how did you know that I was screwing that area up? Like, it's crazy. Mm. But the point is this, and I'm I'm responding to your point. You never arrive. In fact, I, I use this statement often. It doesn't, regardless of how high you get, never get any higher than humble. And this is how I stay at that place is that I have a mentor that I check in with every week who gets to speak into my life and say, Hey, you're screwing this up. Hey, you need to work on this. Hey, you need to evaluate this. And then when they do, I go to work on it immediately. And I believe again, that's what keeps us in a a continued context of health and wholeness. Yeah. And a healthy state for sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
just recognizing that you're always going to be growing and you're always, that should be your focus continuously because you got to show up for yourself. You got to be that healthiest version that you can be in a con continuously in order to have these other aspects of your life also at that higher level, you know, mm -hmm. family, love, and friends, you know, just influence. And so I think that when you come from a position of just valuing that growth first, everything else is going to just appear. Everything else is just going to, that is the consequence of you being in a healthy state and a healthy mental state of that growth. Yeah, know? right on. I, <laughs> this whole conversation, this whole episode, man, we went super deep on life and I love that. It's this authenticity and just real matters, you know, that that everybody goes through. And in society nowadays, it's easy to lose track of it. It's so mm. easy to lose track of it. Well, we have a narrative that is, I, I call it, there's two versions of us. We have the 3 p.m. version and the 3 a.m. version. The 3 p.m. version, the house is in order. Our Instagram pictures are perfect. We're the mover, the shaker, the deal closer. Mm. Then there's the 3 a.m. version where we wake up at night wondering how we're going to, you know, navigate through this the, the moment yeah. why our relationships are failing why our marriage is a shit storm you know, that's the 3m version most people the narrative doesn't allow us to live in the 3m version so we have to cover it we have to hide it i live my life and i teach people to live their life in the 3am version that's the real you that's life because everybody's mm -hmm. speaking into the 3pm version exactly nobody's speaking into th nobody is speaking into how they fix their marriage their life how they deal with fear how they deal with all their screw-ups, their addiction to pornography, drugs, all that. Nobody's speaking into that. Yeah. They're just continuing to create the bullshit narrative of yeah. the, the 3PM version. Yeah. And by the way, that is, that is a version. And it's okay, but it's only one part of the story. Yep. You're exactly right on that. 99% of what's out there is all that 3PM, is all this, this dream fantasy sort of you know, platform and it's and not by the way you know what you know what's yeah you know what sucks about that Lori and I, I hate to I'm sorry to cut you off but I just thought about it what, what sucks about that is is that it 99% of the people who watch it they never feel like they can uh, attain that mm -hmm. they never feel like they can get there so they live the majority of their life in defeat exactly and they question and that themselves sucks. that's where that self yep and that's where that self-esteem right that self-worth that image, you know, it just goes down because of that's exactly the issue is that society portray or, or social media portrays this false illusion of, of what's really not happening. You know, I have an 18 year old and a 15 year old and, a, and an eight month old. That's yeah. the, that's my world of children. Hmm. My 18 year old and my 15 month, uh, 15 year old, um, they are, they are in the Instagram, Snapchat world and they're fascinated by the Kim Kardashians and all stuff. Hmm. And they watch and they look at it. And, and I, Thank, you know, thankfully they have a dad and, and a, you know, my, my wife, Trish, who is a phenomenal, I mean, just this, the wisdom of this girl is unreal, but they, we speak into their life and help them come back to center. Mm. But 90, I mean, listen, more kids today are likely to grow up with a pet than they are a biological father. Mm. So they don't have people speaking into their life and helping them find center. And yeah. so their life is so discombobulated and out of sync and off center that they just continue in this, in this ongoing chaos. Um, but yeah. you, you are a, I don't know how old you are, but I will tell you this. You have, you have to look at, at your influence and your influence. Don't look at it in the capacity of what you see right now. I've got this many followers on Instagram and Facebook. Yeah. I want you to look at your influence as as a platform of millions of people. Exactly. And that's your goal. That's what you're looking at. I have millions of people who are going to listen to me. You are the trendsetter. Yeah. You're the ones that I'm going to take, I'm going to have say to my daughters on Instagram, Hey, Kendall, Hey, Kaylin, go follow Lori mm -hmm. because she's going to speak and she's going to show you another alternative. She's going to show you another side. That's your level of influence. Do you understand what I'm saying? So You've got, yeah. And you have to realize that out there. I mean, it's, it's and it comes all down to when it comes to a person who's actually influencing the right way it comes to a genuine love for people honestly speaking you have to really love the person that's yes. watching you it's not the love for the money or the love yes. for the for the flashy stuff it's Preach. just genuine love and care 
for that person and their growth, you know? Great. And so yeah. you need to be able have to have that ability to have that human connection and connect. With and guess what? They're going to know. They're going to know if you're real. Yeah. I mean, and I've had that feedback and that's why, you know, it, it fuels what I do because to a, a, such a deep level, and they're strangers. And to me, like, that's the purpose in my life. Like, I'm not trying to teach you to have a million dollars. I'm mm. not trying to teach you that. Like, you can have, you can have 50, you can make $50,000 a year. And, and, I, and maybe I made an influence that you're still happy, you yeah. know, because money doesn't give you happiness. It doesn't, you know. So I'm, that's not my goal. And that's why this is not about a, a podcast for success. You know, when I say success, I mean an internal success, an internal fulfillment. And this is why on my podcast and on my platform, I'm sharing stories of people in all, in all walks of life. It's yeah. not just these millionaires and all of that. Like, you know, and I'm looking to even go into like different countries to share the stories of other people that maybe in their community or in their tribe, like maybe women that were trying to go to school in a tribe that was against women going to school and they're relentlessly pursuing that vision for themselves. Right. So yeah. that, that, that is all that I am trying to do is showing people, Hey, you have it in you to take control of your life and to create a better future for yourself. I love it. You're on course, man. I, I align with you and, and I, you know, I believe in what you're doing because it aligns with, you know, what we have been shown and what we have seen in the years and years of just experience and working with people and mm. knowing that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah. And, when you, and when you can give them that authentic you and, and the vulnerable real you, um, that changes everything. And so you're on course, sister. And I'm, I'm really proud of you. It's really Thank cool. You. Well, I think we gave our listeners a lot of freaking amazing content. If you guys wanted to ever reach out to Christian Ferris, um, you can do so at his email, which is docferris, and Ferris is spelled F-A-R-R-I-S, coaching at gmail.com. So again, that's docferriscoaching at gmail.com. His Instagram is at follow the doc. And you can check out his services, his coaching services on his website, which is docferris.com. And just to specify, doc is D-O-C, and then Ferris is F-A-R-R-I-S.com again. So thank you so much, Christian, for being on today. Yeah, and, thank you. And thank you, everybody else, for listening. Until next time. That concludes this episode. If you enjoyed it, feel inspired, and would like to hear more, please subscribe to the Relentless Minds podcast via the link in the show notes or visit LoriJimenez.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.